everyone. Welcome to the Climate Conversation podcast, episode two, uh, where we get to know people who are using their platform to move the needle on climate repair. I am Sofia, Carbon Consultant at Climate, and for the first episodes, I'm going to be the one interviewing. As our host here is actually CEO and founder of Climate, Guy Dickinson, who will be running the next series. Um, so, hey, Guy, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm good, Sophia. Let's get into it. Yeah, definitely. So on episode now, just for a brief recap, um, we touched, well, will you give us a little bit of an introduction about yourself, about climate? Um, so in this second episode, we're going to discuss about the carbon landscape in the world and in Australia. So, yeah, what could you tell us about the, the carbon space it's at the moment? It's complex. I think it's... Uh, That's the way to describe it. I think, <laughs> look, if we really roll it back, carbon's been around for a while. The concept of emissions trading and all those sort of things are not new. Um, we actually fixed the acid raid problem in the, in the 80s and 90s. So it's not a new thing and we know it works. Um, what we have in the carbon markets is a concept that people should get paid to repair the planet um, or people should get paid to do something different to create something that is less damaging to the planet. Um, and there's two ways to, to do that. There's through technology and there's through nature-based solutions. Um, and if we think about those things, nature-based solutions, well, then, you know, it's at the risk of weather, it's at the risk of people. Yeah. You're talking about emerging markets. So there's a lot of uh, opportunity for things to go wrong. Uh, but there's also an immense amount of good that comes from the majority of these projects. We've had a, a period in a situation where we have a group of activists who believe that carbon markets shouldn't be used whatsoever and we should just turn everything off and, and move forward in that way, which isn't, in my view, the most sustainable way to transition from what we do today. And to just give everyone a little concept of how much we'd need to reduce by to hit net zero, you and I would need to reduce what we do by 90%. So put yeah. that in perspective. I'm not willing to give up 90% of my life right now. So for me, carbon markets are part of the solution. I think we need all solutions on the table. Yeah. Um, we've had a, a lot of uh, reporters go cherry picking for bad situations. We haven't had a lot of reporters going looking for the good news story of the cat up, stuck up a tree who got saved. Yeah. So balanced reporting has been a problem in this space. Uh, and I, I really, I think for us, it's really important that we understand it's like anything. It could be like a car yard. A car yard could have a really crappy car in it or it can have a wonderful car in it. It's, it's our job as carbon markets practitioners to filter through what is the, the right market for us to be touching so that we can offer that to our customers and the people we care about and make sure that their reputations get enhanced by using these markets. And then if we think on top of that, this is not just something which people do because they want to do it. Some of them are doing it because they have to do it. So we've got compliance markets, which are emissions trading, and companies get forced into those markets. Now, that's a whole new realm that is starting to affect the pricing of goods, energy, and all these other factors. So it is quite a complex market. It's not something that you want to do off the side of your desk. You want to work with experts to make sure you know what you're buying. Um, and what I would say is it's not as scary as you think as long as you actually invoke the right conversations with the right people through each part of the journey. Yeah, definitely. Thanks, Guy. And just to go back a bit, uh, for those listeners who are new in the space, uh, what are carbon markets? How are they born? What can you tell yeah. us about that? Well, carbon markets were born in the 60s, believe it or not. Um, yeah. And th this is where it really gets interesting. And, and the, the concept of uh, an emissions trading is, yep. is really where it came from. Um, 
And I think what's really interesting here is people, because it, it's not something you can see and feel, they have a problem conceptualizing it a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, ultimately, at the end of the day, carbon is captured through some biomass or through a process. Uh, and just because you can't see it doesn't mean it, it isn't is there. It's yeah. the same way that you and I are very comfortable using Wi-Fi every day. We just know it's there and we use it. And I think because there's that uh, element of it being ethereal and not holding it, it does lend itself to a lot of scrutiny. And often that scrutiny is quite scathing. So there's a lot of uh, people who they go looking for a problem that isn't there a lot of the time. Um, so carbon markets started very early. They went through a, a phase of engagement in the mid 2000s, all the way up to 2011 in Australia. Uh, there was then a change of government and the Liberal government unwound a lot of the policies around carbon taxes, et cetera. So this is not new for the world or for Australia. This is something we looked at on a few different occasions. Al Gore almost won the election in 2000 and he lost by 725 votes. If he'd won, we could have been having this conversation 20 years ago. Now, push comes to shove, we've lost 20 years. So we really need to start using these markets effectively to make sure that money is going into climate repair or carbon markets. Yeah, perfect. And now that you touch on Australia, for those who don't know, climate is based in Australia and Sydney. Um, so what can you say about the carbon landscape in Australia, how their regulatory requirements looking and how's that going to affect businesses here? Yeah, sure. So. It's changing a lot. There's been a lot of regulations that have come through over the last two years. Uh, we've seen the safeguard mechanism come into play, which is a compliance market that's forcing Australia's largest 215 companies to start buying these carbon units, which are called Australian carbon credits. Um, only Australian entities can buy Australian carbon credit units for retirement. Uh, so what that means is there's no countries overseas coming in and buying Australian carbon to use for their own nationally defined commitment. The market has undergone its own uh, issues around transparency. Yep. Some of the methods that is used to capture carbon have been called into question. We use something called a full cam method, which is a, a full carbon accounting methodology. So it's a model base. And those models often work better in other places geographically than, than some. And I think what we've seen is, is really an opening up of that fact. And a lot of the uh, pricing across various methods has changed because people have started to differentiate that a ton of carbon could be different based on where it was created and in what method. Um, there's some fabulous projects. There are some less fabulous projects. Again, it comes down to making sure you know what you're buying. You wouldn't go into a shop, put a blindfold on and buy the cheapest good in there. No one does that. No one goes into a shop to buy the cheapest thing in that shop yeah. with a blindfold on. So why would you do it with carbon? Yeah, so it's thing. exactly the same thing. Um, and then, you know, you've got Australian companies can buy overseas carbon credits as well. They don't need to just buy Australian carbon credits. Only the ones that are under regulation need to buy the Australian carbon credits. So you might have a, a medium-sized retailer who manufactures car, uh, uh, products in China. They may want to offset their products using Chinese carbon credits, which seems reasonable um, from a supply chain perspective. So there's ways to, um, to create a portfolio of carbon credits depending on what your use case and your company situation is. Yeah, definitely. Very interesting. Um, so for the last question, obviously we're reaching the end of COP28, which is the United Nations Climate Change Conference. Um, so what are your thoughts on that and how do you think um, the things that they've come up with are going to affect the carbon markets in the future years? 
Yeah, it's it's gone beyond just carbon markets now. I think what yeah. we're seeing is things like biodiversity, water quality. Um, you know, ultimately, it's very hard to capture carbon without water. So water becomes a central element again, just like carbon is. And I think we're seeing a realization that to capture carbon without having all the wonderful things of nature is for zero. So it's it's starting to be a balanced situation now. COP um, has its critics, uh, especially this one, which was held in UAE. Yeah, one of the world's largest, <laughs> largest polluting countries. Um, and there was some speeches by some of the, the leading delegates that, you know, questioned the science around 1.5 yeah. degrees. Well, and I think they haven't said their net zero target, their science-based targets no, at all. No, and it, it, look, you have to be a skeptic when you see that sort of stuff. And, and I think I wasn't expecting great outcomes from the overall communicate that came out of it. And it, it, we've seen, again, that they haven't explicitly asked for the removal of fossil fuel over time. That has again been taken out of out of scope. And if we think about um, countries saying one thing and doing another, the United States has just hit its peak oil volumes. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, they've never invested more in climate, you know, uh, climate and carbon capture. Um, so what I see the tea leaves saying is you can have a view that all fossil fuel should stop, or you can have a view that you shouldn't have carbon markets. You have to go with where the realities are. Fossil fuels are part of our mix, and that's not going to change in at least a year. That's for sure. So if that is the case, how do we make a difference with what we do? That means it comes back to us as individuals again yeah. and making sure that we drive the solutions toward good quality outcomes. Um, it's not going to solve itself. We all need to agitate yeah, on I this. Um, so COPS, it's nice in theory, um, but having... 70,000 people fly into a country to meet with one another all on jets. Yeah. Um, be, to be controversial. You know, be, yeah, and be kept in air conditioning for, for the two weeks is um, a bit counterintuitive. Yeah. And I'm sure some great things are achieved, but it always comes up short. Yeah. And I feel like we can all rely on that, but we got to start taking action now 100%. ourselves. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much, Guy. That concluded our second episode for Climate Conversation podcast. Thanks, um, thank you so much. Cheers. Bye.